Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, built by Corey. This episode, we got to chat with Rebecca Rush, which was super, super cool. I'm a big fan of Rebecca's. It was a real honor. I'm not even going to start to go into all of Rebecca's endurance sports accomplishments because there's just way too many, and I'm going to leave something important out. Suffice it to say that you don't get a nickname like the Queen of Pain unless you've really proven yourself in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, Rebecca is absolutely phenomenal and an enormous inspiration to a whole bunch of people. This conversation, we are focused, of course, on the Everesting Challenge, unsurprisingly, and Rebecca's relationship with both the challenge itself and the Everesting community and how she became a big part of it at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic with her Giddy Up for Good Challenge. So a huge thank you to Rebecca for spending some time with me. Again, a real honor to have her on the show, and I hope that you all really enjoy the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening, of course. Thank you for tuning in. If you're able to like or give us a positive rating or review or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you find the show, that is a great way to help us spread the word about the podcast and gain new audience members. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. And you can learn all about their awesome range of bikes from fixed gear and track bikes to townies. They've got the clunker. They've got an all-road division. They've got a whole bunch of really cool stuff, including parts and apparel. And they have a lot of stuff in stock, which is unique right now. So check them out at statebicycle.com. On to Rebecca Rush. Andy was was really, really keen to have you on uh, early in the show. Uh, because you had a lot to do with making Everesting sort of an even bigger deal than it already was and sort of during the pandemic, right? So like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a thing. Totally. It's huge. Totally. So, <laughs> but when you, so to go back, when did Everesting kind of catch your attention and get on your radar? And then this will be a two part question. And then part two is when did you decide that it should be a part of this cool challenge that you created for people? Yeah, Everesting has been on my radar as a bike challenge and foot challenge, I don't know, for maybe five years or so. I'd sort of hear someone was doing something or someone was going for a record. But to be honest with you, um, it always sounded kind of cool, but it never really got into my sphere and my world because there were plenty of races going on and plenty of awesome challenges and that I was really motivated to train for, like Iditarod, for example, um, right. and which is a, a 350 miles self-supported snow bike race in the middle of Alaska on the Iditarod Trail. And and really where Everesting came into my world really directly was right after the Iditarod um, in, I guess it's 2019 now, um, is that right? <laughs> it's hard to remember, but yeah, right when the I pandemic so, was really, yeah, was it 2019? Just before the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 2019, March 2019, um, I was coming back from the Iditarod and and having a really great race there. And and really, as we were coming home, is when the pandemic was globally really blowing up. And came home, or and as with everyone, we're sort of in shock of like, hey, what's our world going to look like? And, um, you know, kind of waiting and sort of coming out of winter training into spring and talking with my coach and just feeling, I think, like the rest of the world, a little bit 
sad and forlorn and scared and uncertain, you know, of my career, of our future, of the health of our world, and just a lot of uh, feelings that the whole world was sharing. And for me, being outside, going adventuring, doing long, hard things, that's that's sort of my happy place. That's where I, I heal and that's where I learn and grow. And yes, I'm a pro athlete, but even if I wasn't being outdoors, doing big adventures is really what, what fuels me. And I'm a healthier person physically and mentally when I do those things. And so all of a sudden the calendar's wiped clean of all my adventures and I'm talking to my coach and, you know, I always take some time after a big expedition like Alaska to sort of reset and it takes me a while to get going again but this was different in that the coach was like why aren't you getting on the bike you know what what's it going to take and for you to get going again and I was just like I need a big challenge I need something to train for and and so we started talking and he's like well let's design a challenge you know what do you need and that's really where everesting popped into my head and you know i have a big hill here that that i train on all the time and you know i put on event rebecca's private idaho in september and so everyone was like what are we going to do for the year if we can't go to events and it may seem like a first world problem not to get to go on a bike ride or go to an event but for anyone listening to this we know that being outside and moving our bodies, like I said, it's it's the way that we're at our best mentally and physically, and imp- most importantly, mentally. Because if I'm Definitely. not moving, I'm not happy. And so my coach Tim and I were, I was like, well, I've never done an Everesting challenge. Like that seems kind of cool. And I like to pick things that I haven't done before. You know, I've done Leadville, I've done a yeah. lot of races, but eventually. I morph, you know, I want to do something new because there's so much cool stuff out there. And so I was like, yeah, I could do an Everesting challenge. And, and if I, and I knew if I'm feeling unmotivated, I'm feeling kind of bummed out. I have nothing to train for everyone. Other athletes in the world are feeling that way. And that's really where I reached out to Andy and the Everesting group and decided, well, maybe I should put on an event that one, it's going to heal us individually. And two, um, had a sort of a big desire to do something about the pandemic instead of just sit there and wait. And so I designed the Giddy Up Challenge, which really was a global Everesting challenge. And through my foundation, the Be Good Foundation, we raised over $300,000 for COVID relief. And it was so cool for me to feel like I had a team. I was training with all these people. There were people around the world. It was like downhill mountain bikers. I had a big posse of female friends who were downhill mountain bikers. I did it on a gravel bike, have mountain bike friends and, and people around the world. And typically I've known Everesting to be a roadie thing. And people are like, well, why would you do it on a gravel bike? It's going to take longer. I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Like, why not do it the hardest (laughs) way I possibly could? And also I love that hill and it was inspiring and and it's the hill that we do Rebecca's private Idaho on. And so it was meaningful for me to, to do that in my backyard in a place I really love, but I have to tell you, Peter, it was so cool to experience that because I truly was not alone. You know, we're doing social media every lap and like I didn't even have to wear music um, doing doing the challenge. And it took me it took me just under 24 hours. My coach and I are like, I'm going to try to break 24 hours. It doesn't matter as a random number. You know, it was 23 and a half hours and I didn't stop like 
it was, I was going hard the whole time, but it's a gravel hill. So it took me a long time, but it, it was one of the best races I've ever done. Because when we think about what we love about going to an event, it's the community aspect, it's being outside. It's a, a challenge that's motivating for you. Maybe something that is maybe not attainable, and all those things put together really made me take it seriously as if, you know, as if it mattered, which it kind of didn't matter. And, and actually funny story is my name is not in the record books because I had a technology glitch and okay, the ride didn't funny get story is I, it, I looked it up. I had to look in the hall of fame and I'm like, how can Rebecca not be in the Everesting hall of fame? I'm not because it didn't register correctly. I mean, my Garmin was running no. and I could see my lap times, but just something weird happened. But honestly, it doesn't even matter. I didn't do it for the record books. I, you know, I probably need to do it again just to plop my name down there in the Hall of Fame. But it was so powerful and so cool. But yeah, that's why my name doesn't appear. I have done it. It took me 23 and a half hours, um, but it, it it didn't register, but it, it registered in my heart and my soul. And, and, and it really kind of started something cool that I believe because a lot of dirt people, mountain bike people, gravel people hadn't, didn't really have Everesting on their radar and to open their eyes that you can go in your backyard and no matter where you live, if you have a 50 foot hill or a 1500 foot hill, you can do it anywhere. You can do it on a fat bike. You can do it on anything. And it was so fun to see, you know, a, a downhiller friend of mine in New Zealand, you know, doing it on her mountain bike. And I don't, it was a really special thing. And I'm really happy to see what the Everesting challenge and the whole Everesting concept um, has shown people is that you can find an adventure anywhere in your own backyard, on any type of bike. You don't need a start line. You don't need to pay any money. You, you, I mean, you, a big events are awesome, but you can also get check all of those same boxes that, that really motivate us, um, without really having to go to a big event. And I, I think as travel is still restricted and people are trying to figure it out, encouraging people to find adventure in their own backyard and anywhere was really cool. And, and we saw these little pods of people forming and, I had one uh, mom racer friend who was like, my family has never been able to come to a race. And they were like her aid station at the bottom of the hill with her kids and her husband. And seeing, hearing those community stories, just it made me so happy to kind of know I was a little bit of the instigator for that. Because now people realize what you can create in your own community and your own backyard is, is so cool and so powerful. And so I have to thank the Everston group and Andy for thinking up this crazy idea because it is kind of random. Like it doesn't totally. necessarily matter if <laughs> yeah. you climb this amount of feet in whatever amount of time, what, but what's not random is the power of a goal and doing something hard and committing and putting yourself out there. Yeah, I'll almost guarantee that anybody who tries it at some point within your Everesting challenge, your own challenge, you will have a moment where you're like, this is totally random. Why am I doing this? Why am I out here? This is taking so long. This is so hard. Yeah. You will definitely think it. And Andy knows it. And that's part of challenge, right? Is that is that you have to deal with that piece of it. You know, There's enough well. time it's... to deal with the mental challenge, not just the physical challenge. And I think that's where the magic really comes is, you know, we do hard things. We choose to do hard things like Everesting because it's really the only training ground that we can do for life. You know, you can't 
trained to like, how are you going to deal when a loved one dies or you're having hardship or something financially is happening or, or you're just going through hell because we all, you know, nobody's exempt from going through hard things. And I really feel like these kind of physical challenges like Everesting are our way to practice and, and gain the tools to really, um, really get through the human race more than anything else and the race called life. Okay, so hill selection. How early into this were you positive that you had your hill? Because I think that's one of the most fun things about Everesting. And to your point that it's a, it's a DIY challenge, which is what's so cool about it. And totally different than paying a race registration fee where you show up and you know that the, that the adventure is pre-mapped out where this right. way you get to make it. Like, did you know that that was the hill and you were going to hit the gravel bike right away? Because you could have... You could have made it easier on yourself and ridden a road bike. I could have. There was there was only one other hill in consideration. And here's what I did know. I knew I wanted a really long hill because I like I'm an endurance athlete. Uh, I didn't want to do a, you know, 30 foot hill a bunch of times. And and I live in Idaho, so we have long hills. And there were only two that are really steady. I mean, I'd say if somebody's looking to select you know, having a hill that's a pretty constant grade that's steep enough, but not too steep. Um, my hill was about 7% average grade. And so there were two hills in consideration. One was on the road and one was on the dirt. And for about 30 seconds, I thought about Galena Summit, which is also a beautiful climb, but it's on the road. And I was like, nah, one for safety. I, I didn't want to be, you know, falling asleep or super tired and, and there's not really a wide shoulder on that road. And and so it was Trail Creek. It's a it's a famous hill. It's one of my regular training grounds. I really love it. It's the beginning hill of Rebecca's Private Idaho. And so I knew that hill right away. And for people selecting, I think it's important that you actually really like the hill and you like the scenery if you can, or you like the curves or the way the descent is, because you've got to find some joy in it. And I know some people Everest indoors on the trainer. And to me, that is the most, I mean, kudos, that's like the most mentally challenging thing you could do because not having scenery flying by or something to look at, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> um, so I knew. I thought, I thought about like, cause you could leave when the descent happens, right? If you do it mm -hmm. on Zwift. So that's, that, that is the, that's yeah. the one thing I could give to doing the virtual version is that if you do like eight and a half laps of Alpha's Whip, you can, you have like an 11 or 12 minute break built in where you can just like walk away and go oh. have a shower and change your bibs and eat and then go back and sit on the bike. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. No. Okay. Okay. That's a consideration because I could, my descent since it was on gravel and it's a, it's a harrowing like two lane road with a thousand foot drop off and it's hands on the handlebars. I was not eating on the descents. There's no way. And the right. descent was really relaxing. tiring. It was not relaxing. Yeah. So and I, I like a really bright light and all yeah, that super stuff, bright right? lights. I was riding all night. You know, I set up an aid station and, um, but for me, yeah, the hill selection was pretty easy. It's my home training ground. I love the hill. It's my favorite hill. And I wasn't tired of it. I did it 21, 22 times. And it's a, about a 1300 foot hill. And, uh, by the last time, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sick of it and it, it was really cool. And, and there were also a few other people we've done the giddy up challenge now two years in a row. And there were a few other people out there in the night, you know, we'd sort of our lights would cross and 
it, it was kind of fun. I felt like I had some company. And then again, checking in on social media and seeing that my friends were riding all around the world was pretty cool. But yeah, hill selection, super important. And I, I really broke it down. I, I took my 24 hour racing experience because it's a very similar, cause it took me just about 24 hours and a very similar lap kind of a format. 24 hour mountain bike racing is typically a, I don't know, a 20 mile lap or so. And you just go around and around as many times as you can. And so I was pretty dialed with like how to do my aid station, um, the pacing for something like that. So I really just pulled my 24 hour, um, stuff into the Everesting challenge and it, and it worked really well. And even if somebody's planning it and they're not doing it on gravel or dirt, you know, it's not going to take them 24 hours. It's probably half that time if you do it on a road or less. Um, I would still encourage everybody to, to treat it pretty seriously, like a race with your aid station, with all your stuff laid out, you know, all your extra clothes, spare bikes, spare wheels, you know, whatever you want, because you it's, that's the beauty of doing something this way is that you can literally bring the kitchen sink and bring anything yeah. that might happen or go wrong. So you've got my vehicle was just, you know, I had my Ford Bronco open and just all my stuff in there. And that was pretty cool. And my yeah, husband my was up like there. Yeah. You can basically have a bike shop. I have right. Like, yeah. And have a sure. friend. Yeah. Why not bring all the stuff? I always think of, okay, you know, what are the excuses I might have to quit? <laughs> a broken bike is a good one, right? Yeah. And so, so I had, yeah. I had my mountain bike, you know, you can totally switch bikes. I have my mountain bike in case I got too beat up on the gravel bike and I just really wanted suspension on the descent, but I didn't have to use that. I had my husband there with a bonfire, um, which was pretty nice and warm drinks. Cause it got down, it's cold in the mountains in the spring and it got down into the twenties. And so one of my biggest challenges was actually staying warm on the descent. So I had my rest stop at the top of the hill, my aid station. And so I'd like throw on puffy coats, everything and descend with all these clothes on. But then at the bottom, of course, I'd be stripped down just to a Jersey and I'd have, I'd have to tie the puffy coat around my handlebars and like put all the things in my pockets. (laughs) So going from, you know, down to a Jersey, but full puffy coat and hoods, um, the temperature sort of change was a big deal. And I kind of didn't expect that because you get so sweaty on the climb and then you're going to freeze on the descent, um, for the most part, unless you're in California or somewhere super warm, it's cold going down and your body's getting depleted as you get, um, I get colder and colder as I get longer into an endurance event because your, your body's just working so hard to burn the calories and turn the pedals. Yeah, I do too. Um, (laughs) Now, so you've done it two times and you're set to go again in 2022, right? That's a good question. Am I Everesting in 2022? Um, Well, I mean, now the challenge is set to go in 2022. Right, right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll do the Giddy Up Challenge in 2022. And when 2021 was really fun, I actually, I did the bike Everest, you know, in in 19. No, wait, in 20. 20. And then in 2021, I did a half Everest on the bike. And then the next day did a half Everest on foot because I really wanted to 
join. Um, I wanted to join the people who were doing it on foot. And so that was really cool for me to do a half on the bike, still on the same hill trail Creek. And then the next day I went over to our local ski mountain, Sun Valley ski resort and did two and a half times up there. And I was able to tag team onto the last couple of laps of a friend of mine who was doing the full Everest on foot. So that was super rewarding too. I knew he'd been going all night and to be able to do the morning laps with him, that was that was really awesome to like finish, finish it off. So I, I, I changed it up a little bit, um, so that I could, I could experience it on foot and on the next wheels. day too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a brick. You must've probably gotten close to running an ultra marathon, even in a half Everest, right? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Even if, even if you have the steepest pitch available, that's still an awful long way to run. So it was steep and it was a hike, you know, it was definitely hiking. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty steep hill and I was getting a, you know, getting a ride down. So that was kind of fun too, to like rip down on the bike or in my vehicle. So I was saving the downhill, um, beat up on the legs. So that, and that's, what's cool is people can design the option for Everesting how they want to do it. You know, you could do a quarter hike and a quarter bike, or you could do a half and half or I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun. I, I actually really wanted to do the foot aspect because I wanted to, I wanted to kind of support that community as well. So giddy up challenge, really hopefully cool. will be again in the spring, but you know, what's also really cool is, is people don't, don't need me anymore because so many people are Everesting. Like I want to ask you what has been the growth like in really the last two or three years of people who are submitting their times and doing stuff like that. I think that Andy told me that they went from, I think it was a big celebration when they hit 8,848 entries into the Hall of Fame, right? Because that uh-huh. matched the meters of, of an Everesting. And I think that that was in 2019. And now it's over 20,000. Oh my gosh. Or entries into the Hall of Fame. So, so that's not 20,000 people because some people have gone crazy and done many multiple Everestings, right? So they're in but there also, if 20,000 enter, like I'm not in the Hall of Fame, so not everyone's counted who is attempting or trying these kind of adventures. So for sure. I'm well, and not everybody makes it too. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of, right. oh, I was close or whatever, right? But that's still a massive day, a massive adventure. So all of those things are happening yes. at the same time. Like I actually asked Andy that. I said, like, what's your guess as to what's like a failure rate? And he's, he, like, he thinks anecdotally that it's probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So that means, yeah, time. there's a ton of my, a friend of mine, uh, who, who attempted the Everest on bike on trail Creek. She did three quarters. She did a three quarter Everest. And it was interesting because she went through this whole mental thing of like beating herself up that she had failed. I'm like, what do you mean you failed? You climbed 21,000 feet. Like you rode all night, you like committed to this huge thing. And so anyone who is attempting or has attempted or whatever, showing up and and doing the work is not a failure. That's an absolute win. And she'll come back and and do it the next time. But I was like, you did more miles than you've ever done. You did more climbing you've ever done in one day. So how is that a failure? So anyone listening, because you set a bar, you set a high bar. That's the reason you got to set a high bar. You don't know that it's attainable. So it's not a failure if you don't quite make it on the first try or the second try or the third try. It's absolutely a win. So I just want everyone to really hear that. Yeah. Like what's more, what's more impressive to you 
if you like into just to yourself and your own personal challenge, getting three quarters of the way through an Everesting or going and completing a Grand Fondo and finishing it that was 120 kilometers long. I mean, that's much less risky, right? So take the risk and, and go for the big goal. And if you don't make it, then it just gives you more to learn about and to try again, right? I love that you said that. I have kind of one of my sort of pillars of uh, pillars of life really is risk equals reward. And when I break that down, often the reward is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, I go try 24 hour racing or I go try this. And more often than not, what you define as winning is not necessarily a podium or a finish or anything else. And, and the really hard stuff always comes with the reward. We just don't know what it is on the front end. It might be that you, you met a new person out on the hill. It might be that you, you know, learned how to fuel on your bike. It might be whatever it is, um, that your mom came out to see you climb and, you know, rekindle that relationship. There is always a reward on the other side of something really, really hard. And the definition of winning is absolutely not what as pro athletes we put as a podium or a finish or anything like that. So I, I feel really strongly that people make sure they, they understand their definition of winning. And yes, you have to shoot for that high, hard goal because that's the only way to sort of get the magic that happens. But the magic isn't probably what it for sure isn't what you thought it might be when you, you took that first pedal stroke or that first step. That's well put. So how does how does how did Everesting compare to like twenty four hour racing? So for a single day event, how did it compare to you as as on the scale of difficult? Uh, I mean, it yeah, Everesting is as hard as doing a twenty four hour solo race, and very similar as I talked about with the aid stations and a a lap that you're doing a circular lap. I will say though, and it was, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. And I say that very carefully because by no means was it physically easy. It, it was physically really hard and I, and I was beat up from it, but what made it easy is that I just, the energy of what was happening during the pandemic, what is happening with people needing a goal, needing to connect, needing to find human connection, it's something hard to do personally, and the power of fundraising for COVID relief, all those things, I felt like I was being blown uphill. And like, really, it, it wasn't that hard. And it's because of the energy, the collective energy I could feel from people around the world doing the same thing and feeling the same thing. And it felt so good to play a part in something bigger. So I think that's what made it easier is that I didn't feel alone and it was for a much larger purpose than me doing a race or, or doing a challenge of my own. It had a, a bigger motivation. And so I couldn't quit because I knew other people were watching and we were fundraising and like I started out as a personal challenge for something that I needed to get me off the couch, but it really became a lot bigger than that. And so it was easy in that aspect, but for, and I'll say that with a grain of salt, I have four decades of ultra endurance experience. So I knew the pacing, I have a great coach. We had like, we had all lined out, like, don't go over this power, you know, this is your average power. And so I had all these cool metrics and things to, to keep me, um, in check. And for anyone who's thinking of taking on an ultra endurance event, often people start too fast. It's just, 
It just happens. And they burn out in the first few hours because you're excited. And so often it's putting the governor on in the first quarter of your event instead of like trying to hang on and, and do better at the end. So that would be the one little bit of advice I would I would give people going for a big Everesting is to use that first quarter to like take it easy for a minute or a Just few hours. It. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great answer. Rebecca, thank you so much for doing this. Where can people learn about the challenge going forward? Is it all at RebeccaRush.com? Is that the best place yeah. to find this info? Everything I'm doing is at RebeccaRush.com, R-U-S-C-H, and Rebecca's Private Idaho, and the Be Good Foundation are all on there. So, um, And people can ask questions about Everesting if, if you have another burning question. And um, I'm really excited to see what people do this spring as we come out of our winter training. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. And if you ever want to come ride Trail Creek Hill climb with me a few times, um, just let me know. I'll show you around. Oh, if I'm anywhere, <laughs> anywhere near the area, I'm going to hit you up for sure. That sounds good. One more big thank you to Rebecca Rush for spending some time with me to record the pod. Thank you everybody for listening. We will be back very soon with another episode. We've got some in the bank and we have a bunch of cool, inspiring, Everesting stories coming to you very soon. 